Hey guys, what's up? It is week 190. And uh, first I want to start this out with a correction. I was going on and on about The Lodge, how the dad was a psychiatrist or a psychologist. He wasn't. He was a journalist. Um, so, yeah, I'm an idiot. But still, world's worst father. Worst father of the year. Um, it's just he studies somebody for so long and he's still that dumb about them or about anything psychological. Anyways, I'll move on because this episode's going to be super long. This episode is probably the most movies I've ever watched in one week. I think this is my record that I've ever... Since I've been keeping track, I watched 24 movies this week. 16 are 2020 qualifying watches. So I think when I get to the 16 2020 qualifying watches, I'm going to put like a two-minute time uh, thing on there, limit, even though sometimes I rant and go on and on and on. I think I'll be brief with them because the year-end show is coming up for 22 shots, and I'll have my top 10, and I'll do a, probably a top 25 on here. So, um, yeah, you guys will get to hear a little bit more about them. Uh so anyways, let's start this out. We're going to start this out with a big one. Probably one of the best releases of the year. And this has to be, uh, this is the Tremors uh, 4K release from Arrow Video. So uh, really, wh what can you say about Tremors as far as a movie is concerned? Um, first, Tremors, I think, is uh, maybe objectively the best horror film in 1990. Uh, I absolutely love it. I adore it. I've always loved it. Um, of course, it's um, a rare movie made at the time. The plot is basically there's this place uh, isolated. I think it's uh, Nevada, a perfection, small town, maybe 10 to 12 people live in it. And um, there's a couple handymen who are our main characters, played by Kevin Bacon and um, Fred Ward. And one day they decide to leave town and something stops them. It appears that people are being picked off by something. Come to find out it is uh, these things called graphoids. Uh, they name them graphoids. Graphoids whatever it is they name them that um and they're these giant uh worm-like creatures that live under the ground and sense you through vibrations so that's the basic plot um it's filled with a lot of great characters in the film that's one of the movie's many charms is that all the characters are well established well liked and fleshed out enough that you enjoy them and they go against uh, uh on paper you'd be like or not even on paper by first glimpse um you would say oh these are one you know <laughs> one-dimensional characters but in reality they're, they're pretty well-rounded and they all kind of surprise you especially Reba McIntyre and um, Michael Gross as the kind of survivalistic couple which are probably the fan favorites of the film Michael Gross would go on to be in all the sequels so he, he, he has become like the face of Tremors and he's in Burt Gummer is one of the best characters there ever was when, the, when you come with horror movies or monster movies so um, yeah, this movie actually managed to get a PG-13 rating. It originally, I think, was going to be an R, but you can tell that they kind of shaved off some of the language and everything like that. Um, this Victor Wong's also in here. There's some other, like I said. Um, the special effects are fantastic. Um, they're, they're some of the best I've seen um, for this kind of movie, for a monster movie. Um, I love the innovative stuff with uh, the Tremors coming at you, or the Graph, or sorry, Tremors. I always call them Tremors. That's just a force of habit. That's kind of like calling Pinhead Hellraiser. Oh, Hellraiser's coming after you. But you know, you guys know what I mean. Um, <coughs> sorry about that. So the, the, the Tremors actually coming after you underground is great stuff. The Tremors vision, all that stuff. And the actual look of them is absolutely horrifying. And they have the little snake tentacles that come out. Um, it, it surprisingly has some pretty uh, gory effects. When, when the Tremors get blown up, they're very gory. But uh, it, you feel bad when the characters get picked off because 
Although they don't kill as many characters as one might expect, or maybe more than they would expect with a PG-13 rating, they do kill a couple. Anyways, there's a million uh, quotable lines in here. The back and forth between Fred Ward and Kevin Bacon is special. Fred Ward's just, Earl, he's just one of my favorite kind of characters. I, I love him in this movie. Um... <laughs> I just say a couple things that I, if anybody has seen it, no elephant gun is amazing. Broke into the wrong goddamn rec room is probably one of my all time favorite lines. Anyways, like I said, it, it turns some of the tropes that you would expect on their heads. And I love that. Um, just a really fun movie. Um, one of my favorites. You can watch it anytime. Vastly entertaining. Um, the 4k looks fantastic. It sounds fantastic. And I would spend all day going over the features here, but, um, the new features on here is what I kind of checked out. I kind of focused on the new features on there. There's a new commentary with the guy who, um, he, he, I think he made the Tremors book. So he does a commentary on here. Then we have a new 30 minute making of, and these are my favorite kind of making ofs because they take all the interviews they have and they cut them together and add in clips and everything. It's just so much better than watching, you know, 45 minutes with one person, 45 minutes with another, because this kind of like, it's it's the best of hits. Although you can watch the extended interviews on the second disc as well, along with shorts um, by the filmmakers. So that's really cool. But I like the kind of best of hits they have here with that making of, because you have Michael Gross, you have Kevin Bacon in here, a bunch of other people. I you know, Kevin Bacon's the guy you don't really expect them to get. Unfortunately, Fred Ward's not in here, but he's got to be getting up there. And then there's also new interviews with uh, the composers, both the composers, and they talk about how they both worked on the film and how one of them had a lot of its score and they replaced his music, and he doesn't seem that bitter about it. I love the score in here. I like both actual contributions that they made, um, one being more the action horror-oriented and one having that kind of almost Western mystique kind of um, friends kind of theme that I really enjoy. And then they have one with the line producer. They have one with the special effects people. So it's just kind of insane that they have all these people involved with this release. It's a great freaking release. It looks great. And um, it, I know that the 4K might have sold out, the limited edition, but I'm sure they'll have a basic uh, 4K coming out. There is the Blu-ray still available. But if you don't have this and you're a fan of Tremors, you should track it down. Um, it's a great release of... Probably, arguably, the best monster movie of the 90s. Somebody correct me if I'm wrong. I don't, I, I mean, I don't, I can't think of one from the 90s that's better when we're talking, like, creature features. So, yeah, Tremors, all-time all classic movie, great release, too. So, um, definitely a contender for best of the year. Okay, this next one, again by Arrow Video, and this is, um, I'm going to mispronounce his name, but it's a Kitamura movie, um, and this is Versus. Um, this actually includes both cuts of the film on there, the original 2000 version that runs two hours and maybe a little bit of seconds, and the um, Ultimate Verses, which came out in 2004, which is a re-edited version from the director that runs about in uh, two hours and ten minutes, new CGI added gore, some other gore, some other footage, and a new color correction and music and stuff like that. Okay, believe it or not, um, this is super weird for me because I love zombie films and I've I, and in the last like five, six years, I've been kind of um, diving more into Asian cinema and I've really enjoyed it. I've seen a handful, of course, the big ones and stuff, but Versus was one that missed me. There was these three Japanese zombie movies or, or Asian zombie movies, like four that came out that I remember at the time um, that were like, oh, you got to see them. One was Biozombie, one was Wild Zero, Versus, and Junk. Those ones were brought up a lot. I, I think Junk is a lesser, more low-budget film. 
But now I've seen the big three in BioZombie, um, Wild Zero, and Versus. And Versus is just kind of crazy do-it-yourself uh, filmmaking that I love. It, it's an epic two-hour movie involving samurais, Yakuza, zombies, evil forest, all that kind of stuff. So, um, yes, it also is comedic in a lot of ways, and it does kind of reflect the movies of, you know, uh, evil uh, Sam Raimi, you know, or somebody like that, Evil Dead 2. Uh, okay, <laughs> so this is a pretty wild movie. And the, the two different cuts open up differently. But we're going to go more focused on the original 100-minute cut, which opens with these two prisoners kind of escaping. And um, they're basically met with some Yakuza guys who have a woman kidnapped. And they tell them, we got to wait for the boss to decide. Um, some fight, um, you know, some, some shooting happens. Somebody dies, and they're reanimated in this evil forest that apparently is one of the 666 gateways to hell or something like that. Um, maybe the other couple are at least, uh, some of those might be Fulci's gateways to hell, too. So let's see 666 movies about a gateway of hell opening or something like that. I don't remember exactly number. But anyways, this is one of them. And the dead are coming back to life when they die in this forest. So they chase after the guy because they need him for something. And it turns out that the guy that they're waiting for is in the forest as well. And he has some special powers and he starts to, you know, revive some of the Yakuza that have been killed. And they're super badass zombies and there's gunfights with zombies and shooting and all these clever kind of fun gags and everything like that. And um, there's just, it, it's just a blast. It's really big. There's arms getting chopped off and stuff. There's, there's good gore, but the action's really top notch. I really enjoyed myself with this one. I thought the characters were pretty unique and pretty established. And it's just... Um, huge. It's a big movie, man. It's really big. It's really crazy. Um, the diff I like that they included both versions on here, and that's probably only on the limited edition where you get the extended Ultimate Versus. Um, you can you can actually watch that one in English if you'd want. I wouldn't recommend that, but um, I checked it out a little bit in English. But I, I, I don't know which one I would prefer. I think I prefer the original version just because that's the way I am. Um, the color correction does look better. If, if I believe they did, they lightened it up, maybe made it less drained of color than the original. But uh, yeah, there is a, a scene that I would um, recommend uh, in the um, longer version that I did enjoy. One of the bad guys gets a fight scene with the guy that is not in the other version, if I'm not mistaken. But, uh, yeah, it, it's just a lot of fun. A lot of very 2000 Yakuza, but also, like, zombies and stuff. And just a lot of high action. I, like I said, this is right up my alley. This speaks to me. On the disc, it does have a bunch of features, archival stuff. But the new edition that I really like was um, kind of a... Um, Japanese film historian or film a fan of Kinemura going over his films and his career and stuff like that and that's really cool too because I am familiar with his films like Meatball Machine um, not Meatball Machine Midnight Meat Train sorry these movies mix up and Godzilla Final Wars and you know some of the other stuff but he goes starts very early and he does his trajectory of his career to see how he got these and how this guy basically was um, kind of disgusted with the Japanese film market at the time and he was just tired that they were making they weren't making any action or fun movies for anybody to watch so he wanted to go out and, you know, kind of prove him wrong and go out and make action and horror and the genre films that he grew up, you know, enjoying from, you know, Australia and America and Japan. So that's a really cool uh, feature, and I would recommend checking that out for sure. But versus, um, this movie is very low budget, so I'm sure it's as good as it's ever going to look. It has a gritty look to it. Um, it's all shot in the woods and stuff, so I love that too. But um, I thought they did a pretty good job with, um, you know, how it looks and everything. No complaints. Uh, I expect, you know, the quality for a lot of low-budget movies to, um, you know, reflect what they cost and what they were shot on. And it, um, the sound, there's like a bunch of different sound mixes too. So, yeah, anyways, um, 
Good stuff versus from Arrow Video. Really enjoyed it. Okay, we got another one here, another 4K release from Blue Underground, and this is Vigilante. Um, that's right, starring Robert Forrester and Fred Williamson, the man Fred Williamson, directed by legendary director Billy Lustig. William Lustig, or uh, my friends at 22 Shots call him Billy Lust. It's just a joke. But anyways, I uh, love Bill Lustig's films. He directed stuff like Maniac, Maniac Cop, Maniac Cop 2, um, Uncle Sam, uh, Relentless, a slew of stuff. And nobody captures New York City quite like um, William Lustig. Uh, yeah, so this one is, uh, <laughs> the, the featurette on here kind of sums it up better. It's called like Blue Collar Death Wish. And that's pretty much it. You know how Paul Kersey was in Architect? Well, the guys in this movie, you know, they're blue collar. Especially when you got guys like Fred Williamson and Robert Forrester playing them. Uh, Robert Forrester, I think, is like, he feels like a very blue collar kind of actor. And I, I mean that as an utmost compliment. Um, so, yeah. So, Vigilante follows a story. Uh, it opens up with Fred Williamson talking right to the camera in his, like, awesome, ultimate cool way. How his arms move and everything. He's like, I've had it up to here. And the way he, his hand, I don't know. The guy's just cool. He's like one of those guys that is the epitome of cool on screen, no matter what he's in. Um, so anyways, he is running this vigilante group that includes Richard Bright, which is really cool. Another character actor I completely forgot was in this movie. He's in a couple Peckinpah movies and Odds Against Tomorrow and Cut and Run. Just very, very memorable character actor. So him and, and a couple other guys, um, they're tired of the city. The cops, there's not enough of them, right? There's not enough of them and crime is overwhelming. So these guys go out at night and beat up the bad guys and make sure they don't sell drugs in their neighborhood or do anything else like that. So um, something awful happens to Robert Forrester's wife who stands up for a guy at a gas station uh, against the gang members and they, that makes her a target. Um, these uh, gang members take, you know, um, vengeance on her and some tragedy strikes. Robert Forrester is, of course, heartbroken and he decides to join up with the vigilante uh, group. Although he does um, question some things, which I liked. He says, what if I don't like the way your hair's parted and then I shoot you and then I'm no better than them? And that, that brings up the ultimate question in a vigilante movie, you know what I mean? Because they're very cathartic to watch. But at the same time, you're saying, who draws the line? Everything's going to get out of hand and everything like that. So it generally brings up those concerns as well. So they basically focus in more so on this gang. Um, there's a bunch of actors in here you'll recognize, um, especially Joe Spinell pops up as a slime bog, a slime ball lawyer. Um, yeah, so um, this one and Woody Strode in a prison scene, and if there's a prison scene, there's going to be an attempted or rape scene, of course, in a prison. That's exact. It's the 80s. That happens in these movies every time. But I love seeing Woody Strode, and it's actually funny. One of the characters in this movie, the big guy in the prison, was actually, I believe, the guy in Cruising. I, I don't. Um, the big cop who walks in with a cowboy hat, who's completely in a like a, a thong or something. I think this is him in uh, Vigilante, because there's no like mistaking that guy anywhere, right? So. Um, Anyways, this one has great action sequences, and that's kind of what you're looking for in this movie. It has a gritty, like I good, said, good New York feeling. And um, there's a funny thing. There's going to be a movie I talk about that I didn't care for this week, and it's not a bad movie. It just has a thing that I don't really get into, and it's cat and mouse, kind of too much of that. It just kind of bores me to tears. Or chase scenes. And I do like certain chase scenes, and I would point to William Lustig's chase scenes as chase scenes that I really do enjoy. Um, the chase scenes in this movie, when Fred Williamson chases down a drug pusher, um, and he chases him through this, the, the streets and they're hopping fences. It seems dangerous. It seems gritty. It seems real. There's moments when they slow down and talk to each other. And I know it just, uh, you're like, Dave, that's exactly a chasing or a cat and mouse chasing. I'm like, but for some reason, this is very effective. I buy it. It doesn't, it's not shot like every other um, scene I've seen. And it feels like real danger, you know? Nothing ever goes over the limit to where 
I'm saying nobody could do that, but I feel like the people doing it are actually doing it, so it's kind of this it just makes it a little bit scarier. Um, yeah, I, I do enjoy this one uh, quite a bit, and uh, I do think that the ending's just a slight anticlimactic. I know people are going to be like, this isn't that kind of movie, but um, there is some scenes of action that are pretty intense and people getting shot, but it's not an all-in-out action movie, even less so than something like The Exterminator, I would say. I would say this is, you know, a blue-collar death wish is how they put it. Um, anyways, love Robert Forrester in it, love Fred Williamson in it, great movie, great music. The music is so good. The music's probably one of the best parts of the damn movie. Um, the features include um, a new uh, interview with the guy who did the music, Jay uh, Chatt Chattaway. He also did the music in Maniac Cop 2, so he's from, and he, I remember him talking on that uh, release too so yeah this guy's worked with Lustig a couple of times and he, he uh, mentions he loved Lustig to make more movies and, and come back and do some more music which I liked hearing but uh, also uh, we have this kind of that uh, featurette I said Blue Collar Death Witch which has a bunch of the people involved and some of them are actually seated together which is what I really love but it had the writers there but then uh, a couple other people involved actresses and stuff are there but then they have one round table where it's William Lustig Robert Forrester and Frank Pesh who played um, the drug deep pusher you recognize him too he's in a bunch of stuff but this has to be one of Robert Forrester's last interviews but anyways I, I love seeing that you know you can tell these guys are old buddies and stuff and, and there's one point where oh yeah there's an interview too with the um the guy uh, who's in cruising and he worked in the French Connection. He's actually was a French uh, Connection detective and he worked in a bunch of movies in Hollywood afterwards. He's in here too. Very interesting guy. You ever heard him talk? I, I believe I heard him on the projection booth of another podcast uh, be interviewed and stuff. So yeah, he's on here too. And there's there's some funny things where they're busting each other's balls. Anyways, great release. It looks fantastic. This 4K is amazing. The Blue Underground 4Ks are probably some of the better ones I've seen as, as how they look. I feel like um, on my setup, at least, they always look the best, um, I, and I can't have, I never have any complaints. I'm always just kind of amazed that I'm seeing like signs in the background, reading everything. I'm like reading the addresses of, you know, New York City buildings from like 20 years ago, like I mean, like from the 80s. So I, I like that. Anyways, highly recommended. You got to check out Vigilante if you like Lustig, you like revenge movies. Um, uh, yeah, check it out. It's great stuff. Great release, too. Oh, boy, man. This one is wild. And this is a pinky film from the Nukatsu Erotic Films Collection from Impulse Pictures. And this is Flower and Snake from 1974. And there is a sequels to this movie. And then it was remade in 2006. And there were sequels to that one. So... Um, Flower of Snake has kind of a, uh, has a franchise, which is bonkers. And okay, man, like, um, you know, I've seen a lot of crazy stuff and, and you watch a lot of crazy modern horror movies and they're always advertised as the most disturbing or messed up stuff. But, um, you kind of just start rolling your eyes at those movies now when you start going back and watching pinky violence movies or just Japanese movies in general from the seventies and eighties. And you're just like, yeah, these movies are nothing. And they're just uh, a gimmick or something. And they're not really living up to what they say they are when you pop in something like flower or snake. I was just kind of shocked at, uh, the sexual nature, although that's what the movie is. I've just kind of... It's just, like I said, in the 60s, they had, um, I've said before, they had a lot of the bondage tie-up movies and torture films like Shogun uh, uh, Torture, is it? Or Joys of Torture and Shogun uh, Sadism, all those kind of movies. There's a bunch of them. I've seen a handful of them. I can't remember which ones I've seen. But yeah, they had those as well. So this one, I'm like, okay, uh, this is not going to shock me or anything. 
and it opens up and it's like a nightmare and a damaged brain ripped it straight off or, or Christmas evil where this, this kid walks in on his mother having sex with an African American a GI and to defend his mother, he thinks something's wrong. He shoots him and this messes him up. We fast forward to him being a grown man, still living with his mother and his mother is running some sort of weird kind of brothel where they basically do S and M. They tie people up in bondage and film it. Uh, I'm not sure exactly the, um, what they're doing there, but, Anyways, um, he is sexually impotent because every time he goes to have sex, he remembers the horrible time he murdered some guy um, in, in front of his mother. So he can't really um, focus on things. Um, he works in the office building and his boss invites him to his house one day. And it turns out that his boss is a massive pervert and he's into the bondage stuff too. And he saw it, uh, that he had it in his dresser at, at work or his drawer, or his, his desk at work. So he uh, hires him to break in his wife because he wants his wife broken in because he hasn't had sex with her in two years and he thinks it's inappropriate and he wants to break her and make her her his slave that's basically the plot of the movie so um but of course he starts to break her in and he falls in love with her um and she seems to kind of be going along with it it's just not really appropriately setting an example of good human behavior or realistic human behavior um <laughs> so it's just really kind of nasty and raunchy um, there is enemas in it, which um, uh, had flashbacks to water power, and not as explicit as uh, water power, of course, but I didn't expect to see enemas in this movie, okay? I'll tell you that. I don't really expect to see it in very many movies at all. But hey, it is what it is. So yeah, uh, it's just very perverse, and also it's played for laughs. There's lots of comedic moments in here where I was just like, oh boy, man, this is, like, uh, so many people are not going to be able to handle this kind of movie. Uh, of course, I am a very sick person, and like I said, uh, if you guys ever listen to 22 shots i have a pervert card so i i'm okay right I'm, I'm officially a pervert so i can you know watch stuff like this uh but yeah this one is very perverse but very also like done in a comedic way which is probably the most offensive kind of way to be perverse because probably sets a lot of bad examples for people and maybe people will turn this in and i can't believe you're making a joke out of these you know sexual exploits of people but it is what it is and some of the jokes did actually make me laugh um it's just a twisted story it's a mommy son story it's uh impotent story it's a s&m story it's a kind of a love story um anyways uh it is kind of very very memorable and i did enjoy it and i don't know what that says about me i know this isn't for everybody this is not for everybody so um there is probably going to be a clip in here so uh you'll, you'll know what you're into and uh yeah it's just kind of a, a wacky weird crazy movie that probably is inappropriately wacky but yeah that is flower and snake okay this next one here is another uh from the nakatsu erotic films collection and this is zoom up murder site uh yeah geez and this one is made a little later i think in the late 70s early 80s uh, 79 and this is crazy as well. Um, it opens up with a real brutal um, rape and murder of a woman at this kind of abandoned factory. Uh, she's kind of, this killer's listening to music, pulls up, gets her and rapes her and everything like that. Drives off. Um, and then this is like the most rapey film I've ever seen. We have this young, uh, this woman who's, um, I think it's, um, she's the tutor of her tutoring this uh, guy's daughter or something like that. I can't remember all the details and all these characters, but they go out one day and he's obviously interested in her, but she's married and he is, he's, you know, he's a younger man and he has a girlfriend and she's married, but it doesn't stop him. He wants to molest her, but she doesn't seem interested, doesn't want to have sex. So he starts to kind 
kind of force himself upon her and um, then she kind of wants she goes with it and seems not to really be that upset by it which is again a bad sign for the show in these movies but it is what it is it's 1970s uh, pink films that's kind of what they are known for so um, while they're having their um, you know affair rape thing um, somebody next to them in the next room is also having an affair um, but uh, they get a little too carried away and he strangles she has to be strangled he accidentally kills her so what happens is he doesn't know that somebody witnessed it and he throws the body down this pipe and we we see a couple other bodies down there so this is definitely a killer dumping ground so it seems that this guy is the killer and the woman becomes hyper focused on him and they want to turn him in, but they don't want to give their identity away about the affair. And it gets really complicated when other people start to blackmail people and other people are molesting and raping people. It gets crazy without spoiling too much. But by the end of this, it is completely bonkers. It is mean spirited. It is nuts. Um, so in other words, I really enjoyed it. Um, it is a crazy, uh, kind of a loopy thing where people aren't who you think they are. And, uh, everybody in the movie is an awful rapist or a killer or, um, a blackmailer, but yeah, uh, yeah, check this one out. If you're into these kind of movies, there is kind of elaborate story. The, the, the title of the movie doesn't do it any favors. Okay. A zoom up murder site or something like all these movies. Like I said, a lot of these Japanese movies from the time, especially the Sato titles, they don't do the movies any favors because right away you just think you're running porno. And, um, a lot of people would look at these probably as one step above porno. Um, but I, I don't think there's anything wrong with porno, but these movies are not porno. Uh, so yeah, this is uh, different. And this, like I said, there is a, a crazy story in here and it unfolds pretty well. And there's a lot of characters, but although it is easy to follow, but you have to watch it, you know what I mean? Because everybody's not who they seem to be. Um, really, really like this one. It is pretty good stuff. Again, these ones, I don't think I've in, um, not enjoyed any of the ones from this collection that I've seen so far. So yeah, check it out. Okay. The next one here is a Patreon pick from my boy, uh, Jonathan Wilhelm. And he picked Grave Robbers, the 1989 movie by, by the same director of Cemetery of Terror and Don't Panic. I've seen Cemetery of Terror a couple times. So he picked Grave Robbers. I was very excited to check it out from Vinegar Syndrome. Uh, yeah, this one is nuts. Uh, really enjoy this one. It opens up kind of in your typical, uh, you know, flashback. Uh, not flashback, but olden days where this guy is an evil sorcerer of some sort trying to raise the devil or raise the Antichrist, give birth to this woman, whatever. He is stopped. There is an axe planted into his chest and he is buried and tombed. We fast forward into modern times and there's these young kids, uh, you know, teens, late teens, whatever. And they um, basically make a living by grave robbing. And one of the characters seems to have some sort of psychic bond or just know where gold is. I don't know. It doesn't matter. So they decide to dig in the cemetery and uh, they find the tomb underneath the cemetery where this guy's buried. They take the axe out of his chest. Big no-no. Take the um, uh, the emblem necklace off him. And, of course, he rises back from the grave and he goes on a crazy slasher kill spree similar to a Friday the 13th movie where he's axing people. Um, the gore's pretty solid. The kill count's really high. It gets really nuts. It gets really insane. Um, the setting's great. The cemetery looks great. All that set design stuff under there is cool. The monster is really entertaining. A cop, of course, is involved trying to stop the situation. This 
This one's pretty fast-paced. There's no downtime. The music is good. This is a very easy watch for a horror film in the late 80s. Um, it's got, you know, lots of cool things to go with it. At the end, I love the mass scene where they kind of go along with, um, you know, stopping the monster. But anyways, this is just, it's a monster with an axe slasher, but it's satanic, of course. Um, I don't have that much to say about it because there isn't that much of an elaborate plot or anything, except that this one, no, no knocks on it, doesn't do anything wrong. It does everything very simple and very straightforward, and it is what it is. It's a Mexican horse slasher from 1989. It's really entertaining. It's really cool. Um, the special features on the disc do include an interview with the director, who looks really young for his age. I was kind of surprised he looked that young. I mean, hell, I look as old as the guy, and he's like 60. He's like 58. So, yeah, he talks a little bit about his film career and everything like that, getting started, and how Grave Robbers was a little bit more him inside the movie than Cemetery of Terror and Don't Panic. Don't Panic was definitely made for the market, of course. But uh, maybe I'll watch Don't Panic next week. But anyways, uh, this one looked great. Uh, Vinegar Syndrome's cleaning these ones up, man. I, I, the best in the bits, right? Um, taking Grave Robbers and giving it a proper release. Remastered, looking fantastic. Um, just good stuff. And a lot of people... It's really cool that these ones are finally getting put out there and then uh, you can order them right online with stuff like Friday 13th and all these other kind of big name movies and you got Grave Robbers right next to it. That's just kind of exciting to me. And I, a while back, again, I said there was probably going to be a lot more Spanish and Mexican and hopefully Asian films getting released on Blu-ray and DVD and we're, we're starting to see them. And I'm glad because, um, you know, they kind of go in cycles, you know, like 10 years ago, 20, 15 years ago, these were released on DVD and now the rights are up. So some of them are getting really, you know, and sometimes like... Like that and people are focusing on it the more we get the better because i find it a little bit more interesting watching you know horror movies from different countries than the same old movies over and over again so yeah anyways grave robbers highly recommended great pick um yeah thanks jonathan wilhelm and vinegar syndrome killing it like always all right this next one is the first of the 2020 movies and this is alone what are you running from um and I'm going to be very brief again with a lot of these 2020 movies because, like I said, there's 16 of them. But this is alone. I picked this up at Best Buy. It was like 12 bucks. I heard good things about it. Everybody's going bananas about it. But the plot to me, um, first and foremost, I want to say I'm not big on the cat and mouse survival movies if they are kind of run of the mill and very by the numbers. Um, alone follows the story of a woman who's gone through a tragedy and she basically is driving on the road alone, of course, and she is confronted by this weird guy who almost cuts her off at the road. He tries to apologize. He acts and looks just like Ned Flanders from the Simpsons. Of course, she does what she's supposed to and gets away from him, but it's not enough. This crazy guy will not let up or so we think it's him and I'm just not going to spoil It's him. So, um, basically he, um, kidnaps her, puts her in the woods. She has to fight to survive and, um, basically she gets out and it's cat and mouse game through the woods the entire time okay first and foremost the acting's really good um the cinematography is top notch they take their time to shoot the wilderness wonderful they'll do these giant pan shots where they go up the tree all fantastic acting like i said it's great cinematography's great um every very professionally well made nothing wrong with this movie at all 95% of the people will adore this movie, and as they should. But this script is the most by-the-number script I've seen all year. And I've seen this movie 500 times in the last 10 years, and it bored me to absolute tears. Um, at one point, a third character comes out, and I just said, we know exactly what's going to happen with this character. We know exactly how it's going to play out. We know everything down to the T. And it does it exactly as you expect. And I know some people will say, but Dave, you love slashers. You love zombie movies. You love cannibal movies. They're all the same freaking movie. Yes, but those are genres I like. 
And I know that sounds really, really kind of ignorant, but it's the truth. So like I said, I'm telling you, this is my opinion. This isn't a genre that I'm really overly in love with. Um, so when it's going to be by the numbers and not do anything different, I'm going to be very bored with it. And I'm sorry about that because I know it's a good movie and I know a lot of people are loving it. And it does have a, you know, a strong female lead and good performance by both the killer and the lead. But it's just so much like they just took the shuffle away. Well, we need her to have something bad happen to her past that she can overcome with while facing this guy at the same time. Done. Well, we need a third character to come in to kind of throw a wrench in the story. But we know exactly what's going to happen to this character. Done. And we, it's just like it's so by the numbers. And it's just it, it was just like I, I had trouble paying attention to it because. I was so bored out of my mind. Um, and it's funny because I can watch dirt cheap movies that look like dog shit. But if they have a good story, I'll be like, I was intrigued the whole time. Found footage stuff, you know. But this one just lost me. It, it really did. Uh, most people are like, I, I would recommend checking this out because everybody loves it except me. But that's alone. Uh, yeah, it's actually, uh, the director is... Uh, the son of Himes uh, was the guy who did um, Running Scared and The Relic, I believe. So, yeah, um, check it out. It's well-made stuff. It's just a script is... Um, Written 20 years ago and it's been done 150,000 times since. But yeah, alone. Okay, this next one here I heard a lot of buzz about. And this is Relic. It's an Aussie film. And uh, yeah, so uh, I put this in and it was getting to that point where I was getting real, like I said about Dark and the Wicked, where it's just like, I, it's really well made, like, and everything's good about it. But at the same time, it's kind of being like that hereditary thing where I'm like, this is just like hereditary, but not as good. And I know, I don't want to bring up that story, but I'm going to eat some shit on this one because I'm in 50 minutes. I'm thinking that I'm thinking that yeah, this is a good family kind of drama horror movie. That's going to be really depressing and all and all. But then the last act open uh, happened and I was just like, that is so crazy looking that image and that what it's saying there and I thought about it a lot and it it was a lot better than I was giving it credit for while watching um this is a really strange film where it's a woman uh, older woman's kind of losing her grip dementia Alzheimer's, something like that and what happens is um basically the mother and the daughter come the her, the mother and the granddaughter come to help her out and they're starting to notice weird things she's missing at first and then she comes back and she does lost time she doesn't know where she was the mother starts having these strange the mother uh sorry about that the mother starts having these strange dreams about uh isolated cabin that used to be on the property where she's witnessing kind of i believe her grandfather or grandmother great somebody great grand relative um, kind of falling down in this weird kind of black corpse on the ground opening its eyes and moving. She's having these nightmares and real creepy stuff. Um, before long, we start to realize that part of that house has been put into this house. And that's kind of where the horror would come from. I, I'll leave it at that. But this is definitely a movie about um, being scared of getting old, hereditary, um, uh, horror, like, um, it's kind of Lovecraft in that way. Cause if you ever read the Lovecraft stories where, uh, like the whole story, he's like reading about his family lineage and wondering why they went crazy. And then there's the reveal why they went crazy and why they were, there was their blood was tainted without spoiling that story. But it's kind of like that the same way, but not exactly. This is kind of a very, um, a horror movie done in a kind of a very, real situation for a lot of people, you know, dealing with loved ones getting old, dealing with the idea that you're possibly going to go crazy as well or get suffer from this horrible disease. So there's that. But the ending packs a punch. The ending, the last act is really strong, really good. This one's well acted again, well shot. Cinematography is great. Locations are great. Very good movie. And this one, I, um, 
I did end up liking. I think it's a good movie, and I think the ending really, really speaks volumes. And the, the imagery in the ending is something that is very haunting. And there's a couple haunting images in the movie. And people are like, but it's a dream sequence. It's like, yes, it's maybe a dream sequence, or maybe it's somebody remembering something they saw a long time ago, and they tried to fucking forget it. Yeah, it's probably that. Or maybe it's, you know, the lineage warning them, or the area that the rat warning them or whatever the hell that shack was that was torn down is inside the house and it's warning you know it's a lot of cool things like that but anyways it's relic good stuff okay the next one from 2020 i watched on amazon prime and this was made in 2018 not released until early this year this is extracurricular and i'll be quick with this one the concept is really great it opens up right in the beginning with a double murder and um then it's a bunch of these kids sitting down in this uh cafe discussing it and saying well we got them pretty good but this didn't work this worked and you realize that these four kids who are supposed to be the cream of the crop of their school you know with their extracurricular activities but their extracurricular activities really just murder and that's what they do for fun and that's uh you know how they carried out but there's four of them two of them are dating two of them are uh, siblings so of course they're talking about it and they want to make one more uh, planned escape one of the kids seems a little distracted so you know that's going to bring some problems there meanwhile the sheriff is trying to figure out the situation as well so that's pretty much a setup, pretty much the plot. Um, this one's pretty mean-spirited, and uh, the ending is pretty hardcore. Um, it's really hard to watch characters that are really immoral and awful the entire movie, and then try they try to shed some decency or try to shed some regret or some you know different feelings of opinion, you know opinion on the vary varying causes of who's more sick in the movie. So at first you're like what, and then you're like I guess it kind of does make sense. Sometimes there is a ringleader to the awful group of people, but uh, yeah, I and up enjoying it at the very end although i don't feel like the sheriff has the connection with two characters that he's supposed to have i felt like it was weird i felt like they were from two different worlds the way they acted the way they interacted it just felt like they were just kind of mixing two movies with those kind of aspects but i really don't have that much to say about it i did enjoy the movie and um there's a couple moments that are pretty intense but you're also following like the bad characters in the entire movie which is kind of rare like so the point you really don't feel much for them but one of the characters is is um, a little worse than the others. And it's kind of funny because I respect that character the most because the other characters are really washy in what they're doing. And this one has their mind made up and they know what they're going to do and what they're going to get away with. And I can respect that in the world of awful people more than the kind of ones that are like, I don't, I don't know. It's like, you're doing it or you don't, uh, you know, but anyways, extracurricular, check it out. Pretty good. Okay. This next one is another 2021 and this is the swerve. Now, not necessarily a horror film. There's some really horrible stuff in it that I think would qualify possibly as a horror film so uh this movie is about a mother who's just has a lot of pressure on her she has kind of an unhappy marriage she has two kids who don't respect her and don't appreciate her she has parents that really don't pay attention much to her either and then she has on top of that a sister who gets all the attention because she's an awful person that's all I'm going to put it that way. And she always needed the help. So, uh, yeah, uh, there's a lot of small details in this story as well. But essentially, one day, she's highly stressed. A car is trying to run her off the road. She swerves at them. They crash. They die. That haunts her. She never gets over it. And that's kind of the beginning, even though you kind of seen these things within her earlier, the beginning of her decline. Um, she's noticing these things, the way her husband acts around her sister and other women. And she just knows what's going on. Um and she starts to do some other things that I don't want to spoil too much, but she starts relationships with other people in the film. She shouldn't be probably. And it's all, um, you think that it's like, uh, lashing out to hurt the people, but you kind of find out it's just that someone pay attention to me, look at me. And it's just weird because she's just so under 
appreciated. It's just sad. Watching this made me feel awful thinking back at the times when every time I was, you know, just didn't treat my mother with the mo utmost respect or, or, you know what I mean? Think about, you know, all the good things she was doing for you and everything like that. It made me feel bad, but there's some real messed up things in here. Um, and, and it's really set up. Everything here near set up well. Like there's a rat in the beginning that she poisons and, and that will come back into play. Um, they mentioned that she was heavy as a kid and one of her kids is heavy and the other brother's making fun. All this stuff plays in and it just feels pretty real. Um, but yeah, it, it's pretty grueling, man. A great performance from the lead too. Uh, she pours her heart out um, and it just feels real. It's a very depressing movie. Uh, yeah, you, you really feel sorry for her even when she crosses the line. On a lot of things, you're always rooting for her, even when it's awful. So that's a swerve. Okay, another interesting one from 2020, and this is on uh, Amazon Prime. This is Murder, Death, Koreatown. And this one I'm not 100% familiar with how real or how fake this is. It's a found footage movie, and I guess that lies within its charm, right? Um, so basically, this, this guy, it's all found footage, point of view camera. And the guy is really annoying. So warn you, he's annoying. He's a uh, and throughout the entire movie, he starts to lose his grip on reality and falls down this rabbit hole of obsession. And and you start to hear more about him, and you're like, man, this guy is just losing it over this story. This movie. Um, basically it opens up with this guy discovering that there was a murderer across the street or in the same apartment complex as him. And he's just really interested in figuring out how it happened. He starts to look at the details and realizes that there's no way this could have been carried out the way they said it is because there's blood like blocks over in the alley and there's no other blood leading to it. And then all of a sudden there's there, they were arrested here and the body was here. None of this adds up. So he starts to get real paranoid and really obsessed with it. Um, his girlfriend obviously does not like this, but he starts to notice weird, um, scribblings on the wall in Korean um, and these night pastors, these pastors all around. So he starts to put and make his own story or possibly it is the story. And he's, he's interviewing all these people around the, the city and town and they feel real, real. Like I'm pretty sure that some of these people were not, no, did not know this was a movie, but of course people start ending up disappearing or killed. And, uh, and there's these parts where he's wandering the streets and just saying, um, I know it's the pastors. Somebody talked to me in the sewer. Now my, and just like, it's so, it's so unhealthy. And like, it's just like, I don't want to spoil this any more than what I've said, but I was really intrigued by this. And the first time I tried to put it on, I just heard like heavy metal. Like, I was like, it's not, oh man, it's going to be one of these deals. And it's not, it's like a low rent Koji Shirashi movie. If I ever say his name, the guy who did a cult and cult and, um, uh, no Roy, it's a lot like that, except not as well constructed, more a little sloppy, more amateur than that, but still almost as effective as some of his movies, you know. Um, this is really good stuff. I really like this. I was really impressed with it, and I was really intrigued until the, the end of the film. It's very short, too, but man, the, he talks to this homeless guy for some time, and this guy's great in the movie. Uh, just the stuff he says just feels too real to be uh, staged. So yeah, that is Murder, Death, Koreatown. Good stuff. Okay, the next one here is We Summon the Darkness, another 2020 movie, and uh, everybody has been saying this like as a joke that last year's Satanic Panic um, and this should have switched names because that, and I, I would kind of agree with that. I'll be brief with this one. Basically, we have a group of girls uh, going to a concert, a heavy metal concert, you know, Iron Maiden kind of metal, 80s. So basically, they run into three kind of metalhead guys that are in a band, and they invite them back over to one of their parents' house who are really rich, and nobody's there. And before long, uh, somebody's going to be... Um, a satanic ritual or are they or maybe it's made to look like a satanic ritual i'm going as little spoilers as possible on this one johnny knoxville is a preacher a televangelist and he's in the film 
Um, very wasted role. Very, very minimal wasted role to me. I felt like he didn't do anything. Um, there is some gore effects. They do make a mistake on killing one of the best characters right off the bat, and that's kind of like, ah, man, that kind of sucks, because then you got to spend the time with a little lesser of the characters, although most of the characters I did enjoy. The gore gags are solid. Um, most of it takes place in one beautiful house. Um, so yeah, um, I think this one's decent. I think it's entertaining. I didn't absolutely love it, but um, yeah, I, I did like it about as much as Satanic Panic as last year. Both both fun, both good, didn't love them. Um, and I'm just kind of curious about one of the aspects of why would they somebody take them to this house to do this act and everything like that without spoiling too much. But hey, it is what it is. Um, yeah, that's We Summon the Darkness. Okay, the next one, another super quickie, is the Creep Show Holiday Special. Yep, I had to watch a Christmas horror movie around this time. So, uh, yeah, this one is, I think it's like 45, 46 minutes or something like that. Very, relatively short. Um, I watched the first season of Creep Show, really enjoyed it, most of them. So, yeah, this one, like I said, it starts off, and uh, this guy ends up showing up to this, I can't remember what they call them, but it's lycanthropes, plural, as in, like, more vague, like, all all different kinds of shapeshifters. He wants to show up to this place and they don't want to let him in at first. Eventually they do. And he's in this kind of meeting of shapeshifters anonymous and um, they all kind of reveal who they are. And there's a cheetah and there's a, a turtle and he thinks he's a lycanthrope. And they're like, are you sure? Um, and then they kind of like um, basically figure out everything. And it's really goofy and really funny. And there's some good lines in here. And then you come to find out that there's a holiday twist where Santa Claus isn't who you think he is. Kind of like Satan's slave or something without spoiling it. There's a big battle with a bunch of Santa Clauses and some transforming monsters. It's goofy. It's fun. It's light. Um, nothing absolutely amazing. Some of the special effects at the end literally just look like Halloween props, especially the big werewolf looks just like they got it from Halloween City and doctored it up. Um, it's not great, but it's entertaining and it, it'll do you good on how, uh, you know, around Christmas or something like that. I enjoyed myself. It's fun. It, it's, it's, uh, and, uh, this might be the only movie that you get to see a were turtle, which I loved. Uh, it looks really cool. <laughs> yeah. Okay, the next one here is the Icelandic vampire film Thirst, released this year. Um, I rented it on Amazon. Okay, so here we go. Uh, this is a horror comedy about a vampire. It's kind of minimal in a lot of points. The soundtrack does a lot of the work. You know, they'll play these like needle drops and it'll be slow motion of people running. But anyways, it's about a gay vampire who's rescued. Um, he's basically in an alley getting beat up and it, it seems like he wants to be beat up to feel something. This woman um, who kind of is in a real bad situation, her brother recently died, her parents, her mother has blamed her for it, um, basically sticks, sticks up for him. And um, he's so taken back by this that he decides to, you know, help her out, let her sleep in his car with him, and she knows that he's a vampire. But he's also a gay vampire, and he feasts on um, the male, um, you know, part. So that's right, he eats uh, male genitalia. So you see the same severed, um, floppy uh, prosthetic penis about 27 times. Um, looks very, very fake prosthetic penis. You see it a lot um, throughout the entire movie. But anyways, the fi film feels super cold, and at the same time... Um, there's a lot of blood splattering around and everything like that. Um, another part about this movie is there's a televangelist and she's married to a cop who kind of gets on the case and she's kind of the main targeted person. So they all get involved with this and um, somebody's brought back to life that shouldn't be. And that, that's kind of the climax is, of course, it involves kind of a cult, but the fight scenes are not really well done. Like a lot of the times the fight scenes are just them standing there like walking into the vampire and getting killed. Literally, like five guys are just like, eh, I'm just not going to do anything for the most part and walk right into the kill. 
Um, so the, the fight choreographing stuff is not necessarily great. The gore is there. Um, I know a lot of people think it's great because it's like a lot of severed penises, but um, the special effects there are just like throwing a penis. There. I mean, they're not particularly amazing or anything like that. I think that it is kind of a certain charm to have this kind of lonely gay vampire in the, in the cold and everything. That's kind of funny. Um, that just, he's such a different kind of character in a way. But um, I wasn't absolutely in love with this movie. I thought it was just okay. I thought the special effects were, uh, like I said, okay. Um, there's a lot of blood, but as far as the like main thing that people are focusing on, it's kind of lackluster. Um, yeah, it, it's all right. Um, I didn't love it, but um, it definitely has its own unique style and the music is stands out and stuff like that, but that's Thirst. Okay, this next one was kind of a big surprise for me. I, I figured I'd like it, but this is Freaky, yeah, starring Vince Vaughn by the director of Happy Death Day, which I've not seen. So this is basically Freaky Friday. Um, one day, this young girl um, is almost murdered by the serial killers going around. Um, the serial killer is very kind of a mixture of Michael Myers, Jason Voorhees, pretty much unstoppable. He kills teens and everything like that. He kills teens that are committing, you know, like sex and stuff like drugs and a typical kind of slasher 80s guy or what so they think they do um, in modern movies. So anyways, um, basically he goes to kill um, this young girl in high school, but he's using this weird knife that he picked up from the last crime scene and uh, this switches their bodies. So, you know, the typical Freaky Friday story. Okay, so now we have six foot five Vince Vaughn acting like a teenage girl with the body of a serial killer, um, trying to hide from and meanwhile make sure that her friends know who she is. But we also have serial killer Vince Vaughn in this young uh, girl in high school. So you can see what's going on. So of course, um, uh, the the serial killer now is is easily can kill people a lot easier because they don't expect them while the young girl is super strong at the same time but uh i don't want to spoil too much of this movie but i was laughing out loud quite a bit vince vaughn running was just so great um and a lot of people i think they have vince vaughn pegged as like this like hey i'm a you know like kind of like a jerk or something like he wouldn't be involved with his own jokes you know what i mean he doesn't want to be the butt end of the jokes or anything like that but i know he was in like maiden swingers and stuff and and like a lot of the other movies and stuff like Brawl and Cell Block 99 and Dragged Across Concrete. So I think that he's kind of have an image of being like somebody that wouldn't um, go there in this kind of movie. But Vince Vaughn goes there. Like I was surprised that Vince Vaughn went there. And there's this moment in the back of the car where he's sitting there. Act and Vince Vaughn acting really feminine is so bizarre. But he's doing so good. And it's so funny. And it was also really cringy. But I loved every second of it. And I also really like the performances from the on the other side too. Um, she's just really great when she has interactions with Alan Ruck. Um, this is a really fun movie. This is one of the most fun I had all year. This is a vastly entertaining movie. Highly recommend it. Don't want to spoil too much. Um, this movie is a bigger budgeted film comparison to a lot of the other ones so there's needle drops and stuff that a lot of the other films I think this year probably couldn't afford but highly recommended good stuff um, out of all the movies I watched there's good gore too of course of all the movies I watched this year in 2020 this one would be one that I would rewatch and show other people and just like because it's so approachable for a lot of other people and I did really enjoy this one really liked it it is freaky okay your boy here is getting tired I might have to cut this in two parts and do two separate recordings. Um, this is The Call from 2020. Again, this is a South Korean horror film that's on, uh, I think it's on Netflix. And I uh, heard some good things about it. Um, South Korea pretty much knocks it out of the park when it comes to this. So 
this is a super strange movie. This young woman is moving back to her house or her home, her old childhood home, just to kind of settle things with her mother's in the hospital. Their father died. Her father died really tragically in a fire that she blames her mother about. And um, she leaves her cell phone on the train on accident. And um, she tries to get the cell phone right away. But she gets uh, some. She starts to get these strange calls when she calls the cell phone, and she's using like this dial-up cord phone. And um, pretty soon, she realizes that she has a direct connection to somebody that lived in this house. Um, I think in the '80s or the '80s or something like that. Um, and they're directly talking to them. And pretty soon, they become friends because this other person on the other line is from a different time period so they can change things and they're in the same house and this is actually the people that her parents bought from so they have crossovers in time in the past so she starts to do her some favors and she starts to demand other things and at first it starts as a good friendship and somebody did something something amazing and changed their life completely kind of like in a way a butterfly effect you know you know when you change something it changes the future and that starts to happen but then of course um Somebody's not quite right, and there is a reason why um, they, their history was going to unfold the way it did. And I don't know how to talk about this without spoiling anything, but this is fantastic. Um, the very, very ending is my only hit on it, where I'm like, ah, did we have to go there? Could we have just let it a little bit more open than doing that? But uh, yeah, it's pretty intense, pretty crazy, pretty depressing, um, very, very um, you know, gut-wrenching. Uh, without spoiling too much, like I said, great performances. I love how they play with time. I love how clever it is. I love how they're tricking each other because one can, you know, uh, tell the person what happened and the other can stop things from happening. So it's, it's really awesome. That's the call. Highly recommended stuff. And this is one, the more I talk about, the more it will be spoiled. Okay, this next one was actually made in like 2016, but didn't get a release until this year on Shudder. And this is Prey slash Uncaged, or AKA Uncaged, by Dick Moss. You guys know Dick Moss, the Amsterdam or Dutch filmmaker who made stuff like Amsterdam, um, The Lift, Down. Uh, so yeah, this guy, his movies are all crazy. They're all kind of like the same movie too. They're all like these bizarre, crazy action horror movies about weird things happening. But this one is pretty awesome. Uh, essentially what we have here is a lion that's escaped in Amsterdam. We don't know why, but guess what? It's running around and it's hacking and slashing tons of people. Okay, the lion is CGI sometimes. And you know... Normally, I'd say I'm not a big fan of that, but this movie is, is played straight for the most part. It's played straight. It's played serious. It's not like, hey, doesn't this movie suck? Because I can't stand those when it comes to animal attacks movies. And there is animatronics with the lion. And all the gore on the people is practical. So, and the kill count's super high. So basically what we have here is these people trying to stop this lion from ripping people apart. We have, um, I think, uh, I can't think of what the main character is actually doing. She's a police detective. She used to actually, she's dating this kind of loser journalist um, guy who's always trying to, you know, make thing, make up for something that dumb that he's done. Um, but basically she has to call in her old friend who's this badass uh lion safari hunter who actually is in a wheelchair and he's larger than life kind of character and he's just drunk and carries a gun around but basically this is just them hunting a lion around amsterdam it is a little long for what it is but i never felt the time um they, there's some really good moments in here where they call in like uh the police chief calls in his cousin to help and he's like just a big game asshole on her and he has a really weird son just strange things but the gore's great um when the lion's practical and 
animatronic. It's really cool. This just is way better than it has any right to be. And it felt, it took me back to a time with stuff like Ghost in the Darkness and just Alligator. It just felt more legitimately like an old school Animal Attacks movie than any of the ones I've seen in, in modern times. And it's like a throwback. Maybe this because Dick Moss is crazy and he makes all his movies the same way no matter what. High action chase and, and just always goes there to something crazy. Like whether it's like that guy, like that body flying out of all those kids in Amsterdam or just making a movie, two movies about a killer elevator. It's just like Dick Moss does not care and it shows, but it's in the best way that he doesn't care. He doesn't care what anyone else thinks of his movies because all this stuff ends up being vastly entertaining and Uncaged or Prey is no different. Really like this one. This is kind of a surprise hit, surprise one for me. I knew it would be entertaining. I didn't think it would be this good though. Okay, the next one here from 2020 is The Babysitter, Killer Queen. And I really enjoyed The Babysitter from last year. was the year before. I thought it was great. Uh, laughed quite a bit. But this one here, the sequel, um, a lot of people are saying it's not as funny. It just rehashes the same old jokes. But for me, that worked with Austin Powers 2. Not 3, but it worked with Part 2. So right in the beginning, it has the, the psychiatrist. And that whole scene cracked me up. The interactions are great. They bring back the uh, young kid, of course. But anyways, he's kind of all messed up and paranoid. Everybody thinks he's crazy. And his parents always want him to get out of the sh his shell. His parents are back as well. So one day, um, his friend convinces him to go out on kind of a cool like boat kind of a spring break, whatever the hell it is, to hang out with all the friends and everything. And of course, tragedy strikes. It turns out that a group of his new friends are also part of that same cult in the first movie, and all the old characters are being brought back to get revenge on him and get their pack with the devil. It's gory. It's fun. There's lots of laughs in here, lots of great dialogue, moments of absolute ridiculous. The characters are so over the top. I was laughing the entire movie, though. I'm not going to lie. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's like a joke every 35 seconds. Half the time, it doesn't land half the time it lands so by the time you're done laughing if there's a joke that you didn't get it doesn't matter because they'll they'll get you with the next one i enjoyed myself quite a bit um uh, some of the characters from the last movie, one of the, I think the the buff guy, I feel like he just didn't act as well as he did in the first movie. I don't know what's going on. Maybe it was his dialogue. But anyways, I enjoyed myself in this one. It was a kind of a feel-good, goofy, gory movie. Um, I really like the main character along with the guy, the young girl who's helping him. She's awesome. She's got like one of those kind of like dark, badass kind of girls, but very funny and different. Loved her. Um, enjoyed myself. You know, it's not perfect, but... Um, it, it's fun and it's exactly what I needed when I put on something light to watch because I had watched a couple movies that day and they were a little heavier so I was like I need something light something to make me relax something I can just enjoy and it was Babysitter um, Killer Queen really liked it and of course you get Killer, you get Killer Queen by, a, I, don't, I don't know if it's a, a, a cover of it, but it's in here, you know, so more needle drops. Okay, this next one was on Shudder, and this is Dogs Don't Wear Pants. And uh, where was this one from? What country? Is it is it France or Amsterdam? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I should have done my research. I'll post right here. But uh, again, I'll be very brief with this one. This one is a movie about obsession and kind of survivor's guilt in a weird way and fetishism. But we have this, this guy who's um, lost his wife uh, really tragically. And um, he's a doctor, kind of a high-stress job. He's kind of dead inside, doesn't have much personality. You know, he has his daughter still alive, but he just doesn't really seem to be all there. One day, he um, goes to the tattoo parlor with his daughter, and he runs into some woman performing kind of a, you know, a dominatrix in the basement. And she steps on his finger. Um, and for some reason, that pain, that kind of like brought him to life and he becomes interested in going back and before long he's obsessed with being strangled because it takes him somewhere that he wants to be and maybe possibly 
make something right or be where he belongs or be punished for what has happened. But uh, he becomes obsessed with this relationship and he won't leave this character alone. But this character also starts to have a weird intrigue in him. And it's just kind of a weird, crazy, twisted uh, love story about obsession and uh, BDSM. Um, lighting is great, like the reds, and, and it looks fantastic. The music's really good, too. Um, and like I said, I don't have that much to say without spoiling that much. Um, and so many movies, your brain starts to get turned in the mush. So more of these are just kind of run run throughs real quick. But um, I love the ending. The ending really stuck out to me. It, it meant a, I, I just love how it ends um, with the music playing and the club and everything and then making eye contact. Good stuff. Dogs don't wear pants. Not necessarily a horror film, but horror adjacent for sure. Okay, the next one, 2019, but released this year in the States. This is Werewolf. Um, yeah, this is a, uh, another war film. Um and uh, basically, this is kind of a really cool plot. <clears throat> Another animal attacks movie, if you will, and practical, unlike on Cage, but uh, really cool the same way. So what we have here is a group of um, Jewish children that escaped the Nazi camp. It's kind of like towards the end of the war. I think they're being invaded, so they abandon the camp. And um, basically, the kids um, are on the on the run, getting out of there, and they're attacked by a, a group of Nazi dogs that are trained to kill Jews. Um, so they hide up in this house, um, and there's a couple Russian soldiers that are first helping them, and uh, they're attacked by the dogs, and they're kind of it's a siege movie where the dogs are trying to get in, and there's some deceit and traitor stuff going on between all the characters. So um, yeah, there's that going on. But anyways, okay, so werewolf. Um, I, I really thought this one was pretty solid, pretty good movie. Um, I love how the dogs work. They're all practical. It's scary. Um, the gore when it's there is pretty solid. But this movie does, takes a turn that it, it, it has to go one of two ways. And instead of kind of, you know, getting into a gore fest, really mean-spirited movie, it kind of changes uh, gears and wants to let you know that the animals are not really responsible for their actions and stuff like that. But um, they, they establish a lot of the characters pretty well. Some of them are kind of background characters, but there's a lot of characters. Um, I kept track of everybody pretty well. Like I said, I don't have that much to say about this movie, except that it's good, it's well-made, it's well-acted, and the ending's not what you expect. Um, and uh, I, I thought that was pretty good. Anyways, I'd be looking forward to this director's other work. i sorry this one's so short, but this is one of the first ones I watched early in the in the week. And uh, this is probably the first or second I watched. So yeah, this is Werewolf. Did really like this one. But again, it doesn't cross over too much into the horror territory. Like I said, it's more of a war drama. And that beginning stuff is pretty gnarly, um, showing the war and stuff. But anyways, um, it wanted to do... It's one of the things where it could have done something that would have made it 100% horror movies, but since it doesn't, it makes it different in a way that I like. So that is Werewolf. This next one here is Amulet. And uh, yeah, this one I had heard a lot of positive things about. Well, 50-50. Some people really loved it, some didn't. So I put this one in, and I didn't know really what to expect. Um, it's on Hulu. And uh, this is kind of these well, like slow burn horror films that are well made. But there's really not enough for me here. Um, I, I don't want to be too negative on it. Um, I would compare this to a more less inept Wounds from last year. Was Wounds last year? Wounds, I think, had some good things, but I felt it was too inept and kind of meandering to really work for me. And I feel like Amulet is a little meandering as well. We have this guy. It kind of flashes back between two timelines. He was served in the war. He was on a border, and he... Um, was basically supposed to make sure nobody crossed the border illegally. And uh, so basically this young woman's trying to cross the border. He ends up kind of telling her to stay with him. And that's kind of the one storyline. The other storyline is more modern time. And he seems to be like a refugee or something. I don't know exactly. But he's kind of trying to make a name for himself in this small place. And he's offered this place to stay. Um, and really, 
he becomes part of this weird thing where this woman is trapped in this room and um, he had found this amulet and it all ties together. Both the stories come together and we realize why he's there and why he was chosen through the flashbacks and everything like that. Um, there is a couple gnarly special effects scenes at the very end, um, but I just felt this one was a little bit too meandering for me. Um, it's not bad and a lot of people will love it, but um, it has some good imagery, has some good moments, but um, this one didn't 100% work for me. That is Amulet. Okay, the next one is A Good Woman is Hard to Find. Um, I think this was on Hulu or Net I, I, Amazon. I don't remember anymore. My or Shudder. I think my brain is fried. I think it was Shudder. But okay, this is more of a crime film, a revenge film. We have this single mother struggling. She has two children. One of the children is kind of quiet. Tiny Tim saw something awful, Does no, lo no longer speaks. And then we have a young daughter. So um, her husband died under mysterious circumstances, and the cops really didn't do anything about it. She's kind of really struggling. She has an overbearing mother who's not very friendly, not very loving. And uh, one day... Um, this young, this guy who ripped off a couple drug dealers runs into her house and basically forces her to hide the drugs while he comes in and sells them. Um, that's pretty much the plot. Something happens uh, dramatic and the gangsters are after her. So that's pretty much the plot of the film. Um, I really like the lead character in the movie. I like her. I think she's a solid character, good performance. And uh, the bad guys are pretty lame. For the most part. The main bad guy, I don't know what he's doing. He's really strange. He's really kind of like proper, but menacing but i just don't really care much for that character i don't think he really works i don't think the performance is bad he's just a kind of a bizarre kind of weird character there's a point where they all beat up these like big grizzled garbage men and i'm just like i don't feel like these guys are beating up those garbage men like these garbage men go to help her like when they see it on the side of the road and they run over and they're like what's going on and then like the guy just punches him like 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 bop and like the guy just stands there like doesn't even move doesn't do anything goes right down it's just that scene like i'm gonna say the physical fighting in here is not very well choreographed and i'm probably getting a little spoiled because i'm watching like uh like all these kung fu movies or movies uh modern movies with scott atkins and i'm like oh that's great chore choreographed stuff and then like you go to watch other movies or independent movies that don't have a fight guy on the set like that and you're just like that doesn't look good that's not good but i, I just just thought that was played out not very good um of course it's just kind of a crime film um it, it crosses to the rape revenge kind of category somewhat but i would call it just more of a straight up crime film in that element um some good lighting um well acted like i said except that i really don't care for any of the characters except the mother and the kids but uh yeah it's all right it's not perfect, but it's a good movie. It's a good woman. It's hard to find. Okay, the next one here is from Survive 05, and this is John Carpenter's from the Master of Horror. This is Master of Horror, John Carpenter's Cigarette Burns. Believe it or not, I never watched uh, Cigarette Burns. I know, it's a shame, right? So, uh, yeah, this one's really cool. My friend compared it to In the Mouth of Badness, and I would say it is because you got the Carpenter connection, but uh, this is definitely kind of the story. Like, what was that one that came out last year? Um where they go searching for the fake film, or The Hills Run Red by Dave Parker, the director, not me. Um, uh, yeah, so it's kind of like in that vein. Um, we have uh, Norman Reedus, who is a film programmer. He is hired by Udai Kier, who's been popping up a lot lately. He's in a lot of stuff uh, that I've been watching. So he's hired by Udai Kier to find this lost film, it's a French film, and like the Rites of Spring, that uh, the musical number that caused everyone to go crazy, everyone who saw this screening went kind of nuts. Anyone involved with the film who made the film had died or disappeared. So it's it's very strange. The film has a crazy power. Edi Kier actually shows Norman Reedus, uh, one of the stars of the film, 
and it appears not to be human. And that was really creepy and really weird touch to it. So anyways, Norman Reedus has offered a ridiculous amount of money. And he has a, you know, a haunted past as well involving a girl, his wife, and everything like that. And he needs the money to keep this theater open. So basically he's on the way. He starts to go down this rabbit hole. And the closer he gets to the film, the more he starts to lose his humanity. Um, the more he starts to see these cigarette burns, these flashes of film burning and everything. And of course he eventually finds the film and it all comes to a head and everything like that. There's some good gory effects in here, what the film does to people, but the idea alone is magnificent. The idea that a film could drive you mad, that it could just completely change everything about it. Anybody that's close to the film does something and it has something to do with the blood that was spilled on that film that just makes people feel very ill and sick and drives them mad. I like the idea. It's a great idea. It's a cool idea. Um, and it's pretty well played out. I like everything about this. I like the acting for the most part. I don't think Norman Reedus is a great actor. I never thought he was a great actor. Uh, I'm not trying to be a dick or anything. I just, he's never really impressed me. I know people will probably say Boondock Saints is his best performance. It's been a long time since I've seen it. It's just, he's okay in Walking Dead, but like, I don't think he's very good. I don't think he's very good in this. I think he's kind of miscast. I just don't buy him as this crazy film obsessed fan. He just doesn't look the part. He doesn't act the part. Oh, I'm sorry. But besides that, I love Uday Care, and I love the what happens to him at the very end. This is a pretty crazy movie. I really recommend this one. A good one for Survival 5. Hey, guys. It's Blind Spot, and we're here to review, this is my pick, a David Fincher movie, Zodiac. Is it 2006 or is it later? 2009? I don't know. I can't remember. I can't remember. It's somewhere around there. Um, this is based on the real-life case of the Zodiac Killer, which I know a little about. I'm not an expert or anything. I'm not obsessed with that case like a lot of other people. For some reason, sometimes the cases that were unsolved, like a lot of people become obsessed with them. I become less obsessed with them because I'll never know and I don't want to be yeah. like driven into that like rabbit hole. But this stars uh, Mark Ruffalo, Robert Downey Jr., Jake Gyllenhaal, um, Anthony Edwards is in here, uh, Chloe Cervini, um, who else pops up? Donald Logue. Uh, James Lee Gross, uh, Philip Baker Hall. The cast goes on and on. There's a great, uh, what is it, John Carroll Lynch is in here. Um, the cast is amazing. It's it's like kind of all-star cast. It's an epic movie. We watched the director's cut, and this is one that I always wanted to see. People are like, oh, you love that movie, and um, it did not disappoint. It was exactly what I expected. A super well-made thriller that was well-acted, really. Oh, um, yeah. It was fantastically acted. I, I think Robert Downey Jr. was amazing in it i think mark ruffalo is the best Him too mark ruffalo is an actor i've seen and i've always enjoyed but i never saw like the stuff like i, I first time i can think i seen him like and took notice of him was that's mark ruffalo he's he's gonna be the hulk and i'm like oh i, I think i see that guy but like <laughs> this is like 10 years ago and i was like i just he's there i've seen him in some other stuff but like i never really paid attention to him as like a star like right. a robert downey jr or something but this one man he was so good in this movie um he actually the more i think about it the more i like this movie I, I think it's because of him. I really do. Um, so anyways, this follows the case of the Zodiac. It's partially a newspaper and the police investigation. So we kind of focus originally on Robert Downey Jr. getting the letters in the mail and the, everybody kind of investigating and everything like that. And then we kind of jump a lot, a big chunk of it to the police investigation with um, Mark Ruffalo and Anthony Edwards, who's a really great performance in here too. Um, mm -hmm. he, he, it's I don't want to say it's an understated performance, but it's, it's a realistic but likable performance of kind of just, you see these guys get like completely drained of like, just so tired of everything. And then eventually we kind of end with Jake Gyllenhaal, um, kind of reviving the case. He was a cartoonist in the newspaper at the time and kind of like becoming obsessed with it and risking his marriage and all that kind of stuff. Um, it does kind of remind me at points of that. Uh, I think David Fitcher did that, uh, that new show that came out with the serial killer show. 
I can't think that was on Netflix. I think he was involved with that. I think he directed those. Oh, is that the one with um with all the yeah with like um I Jerry Burdos and uh, uh BTK. He yeah he yeah. Had, like they interviewed the yeah, guy yeah. in the jail. Yeah. yeah, this is a lot like that. Very similar. Yeah. So um, I, I don't even know how to the the set designs are great. Um, like you see the mail truck in the beginning. It starts in like sixty eight. 69 and it ends in like 91 yeah something yeah. like that um it's i don't even know what to say about it except it's super intriguing and um do you have anything else to say about it well like the movie itself is like divided into parts and yeah like I, I said i think that um i had seen a good chunk of this when it came out a long time ago um i remember it because it was like early 2000s and like Everything you trying like the History Channel or Discovery or whatever, it's like like oh the Zodiac Killer because every time they release like a big period piece movie, they always have to do like the well, that are based on true stories. They always have to do like the specials on like those channels. Well, and, also it's the fact I think like if they find new evidence that will sometimes bring about that and right. also bring about a movie. Like if they, you know what I mean? Right, and I wonder if that's what propagated this. I mean, because the book itself came out in like '93. Um, we had super weird timing that this was where it fell on the weekly shows and they literally just deciphered one of his, yeah, uh, they that's did. so weird, isn't yeah. it? But I didn't even read that letter yet. Cause it's like, it's a Zodiac killer. I don't care. Who he's gotta is. be dead by now. Right. He's gotta be most likely he's dead. Most likely he could still be alive. You know, senator um uh, it could possibly be a senator <laughs> a very well-known senator in the republican party that's an old joke i know that i love, love that, that joke. joke yeah <laughs> i like that he actually played along with it too he didn't be a, he wasn't a baby about it right um because um, it's so ridiculous what are you gonna do we're talking about ted cruz yeah uh anyways um no i there there are parts of this that i really like i didn't particularly care for the jake gyllenhaal section but that's just because i, I I'm iffy on Jake Gyllenhaal he's, to begin. He's with. got a knack to, a knack to play kind of really kind of bizarre, uh, void of human emotion characters. Right. Uh, I always like just with feel, Nightcrawler and this. And, right. I think yesterday I was like, he always just plays like a smug little nerd. He's not like, even I just smug in punch this. Him in the he's face. not smug in this. He's actually he's awkward. Not and as he's smug in this, he, he but I'd know. still punch him. I'm he's like, on the spectrum in this movie. I think he's on the spectrum in every movie. Maybe he's on the spectrum. Like name one where he's not. Um, Prince of Persia. My favorite parts of the movie are the interactions with Anthony Edwards and Mark Ruffalo where they're basically like, you want the crowd or you want the scene? He's like, it's your birthday, man. Take the, take the scene. Take right. the crowd. I'll take the scene. <laughs> and then um, when Jake Gyllenhaal drives Mark Ruffalo crazy because he starts like badgering about the case and he's like, he's like, all right, what I wouldn't say is if I were to tell you what to do, I would tell you to go look up this guy and that's how I would tell you, but I can't tell you that. Stuff like that. Right. So he leaves him and it just makes me laugh every time. I don't know. He just... He he he's the best part of the movie, really. Mark Ruffalo is is right. such an intriguing character in the movie, and I don't know, like a lot of movies, really. You don't, I don't know how to say this. Like it's so weird how much um, people love detectives in movies but hate cops in real life. Because detectives, yeah, I, mean, I feel like detectives are a little bit different. A detective is different than just a regular. And I don't want to be negative. I don't. Cop, I, I don't bring that up or anything like that. But there's just a lot of hatred towards cops. But they still make the best characters in films usually. Like, <laughs> but anyways, I like I said, the set design's great. I like the yeah. look of the the place. They handled it really well. Jake Gyllenhaal doesn't seem really to age over time, which no. is what everyone else does. Yeah. Like Rob Downey Jr. is actively dying on camera, and then like Jake Gyllenhaal's like, I got a beard now. <laughs> like, um, you know Robert Downey Jr. He, he goes, he gets like more and more like alcoholic as the movie goes on, and like he plays it 
Like, he's actually drunk. Like, his head doesn't move when he's trying to concentrate. Like, I'm like, I wonder if he's actually drunk in this movie. He, he very Maybe. well could be. I mean, Robert Downey Jr. is just one of those, I don't know, he's a movie star. He's in so oh, much yeah. stuff. Oh, like, yeah, and he's a fantastic And he's actor. had such a long career, too. Right. Like, back in the old movies when he was, like, completely drugged out and insane and shit like Natural Born mm-hmm. Killers and then up until, like, in Hearts and so He's just had a very early career, all the way dating back to Back to School and John Hughes movies right. like Weird Science. So uh, it's just kind of strange to see how long he's come and actually still be relevant today. It's really cool. But Was he in the one where he's in the phone booth? And I think there's, like, a sniper. No. that's should... Yes, that's Colin Farrell. It could be Robert. No, Downey it could. Jr. Doesn't matter because it's not him. <laughs> but, um, anyways, like I said, I don't even know how to say this. Like, I like that you're going through the case the entire time, and you really have a suspect. You have a couple suspects, and it's really aggravating that you can't cut through the red tape. And it's so hard in this kind of situation that you need a million things to get a search mm-hmm. warrant for one guy, even though you're pretty sure. But when one thing doesn't go in line with your thing, it's automatically thrown out because they have so many suspects. Like when he's on the phone and he's like, "How many suspects you got? Nine hundred. I get fifty every hour." And he's just Right. Like, oh, he's just like taking the phone. It's like, why aren't you eliminating? I like to eliminate him, but I got to stay on this phone and keep answering the phone. And they literally have only two guys on the Zodiac case when it breaks originally. Right. And, you know, and this is also true, like, because it does, like, these killings happen in different cities. So they really are working, like, I think three or four different police departments trying to, yeah. you know, coordinate They're information. They're, like, calling Eliza's Cotez and getting the guy. And, like, some of the police departments are mm-hmm. idiots. Like, that old guy who's like, I don't think this is the guy. Right. And he's like, he gave the journalist, the, um... The, the newspaper information he shouldn't have gave. But also, I, I like how the murders are carried out. Yeah. Like, and, and it also shows, like, back in the late 60s, like, you didn't really know the rules of, like, 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 everybody knows now if they ask to tie you up, don't let them tie you up, no matter what. Just fight for your life, because they're going right. to kill you. Don't ever let them tie you up. Right when they want to tie you up, you're done. Right when but, they want to tie you up, get a safe word. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, but honestly, get out of there. Like, yeah. just just run. Die. You get shot in the back. It's better than being tied up and stabbed for 20 minutes. It's just one of those things where it's like, you know, you're probably going to die. Just, just try bashing them with something. <laughs> well, I, I, but I'm just saying, back in the day, I don't think people really registered that as well because the information wasn't out there about serial killers. Now it's pretty much way out there. In 1969, there really wasn't even registered as serial killers. You know what I mean? I mean, we, we could talk like hard all we want, but the moment actually happens. Oh, well, yeah, that's the truth, though. Standing there pissing but, me I mean, I would just <laughs> tell them to shoot me. Like, I, w- I wouldn't fight back, but if they're like, we're going to tie you up, I'm like, just shoot me. Right. You're not yeah. tying me up. Just yes. shoot me. Yeah. Or knock me out and tie me up. I mean, that's one way or the other. Mm-hmm. But every time you've ever seen someone get tied up in real life, it always ends very poorly for them. It's, right. it's worse yeah. than just getting shot. But mm-hmm. I love it. The Zodiac literally, like, I can't believe this guy walked up in a Zodiac outfit in real life. Like, that was the eyewitnesses had him in that outfit. He's, like, walking up. It's like, he's like, get on the ground. I'm like, what are you wearing? Wait, he's got, like, his, like, symbol. He looks like a, like a cheap Jello guy. Like a he looks more hat. like a, a, a G.I. Joe villain. <laughs> right, Like, yeah. if you were to throw it, like, this is Cobra Commander's troops. Well, and then his, his, his symbol's like that cross-eye. Yeah, that cross the crosshairs. Hair. Yeah, so it's like, it's like, you know, what, like, what's your shtick? It's like, oh, I'm a... Oh my guy! <laughs> uh, but but um, it's like Deadshot. He never yeah, misses yeah, anybody. Deadshot. Anybody, you know. Yeah. But not a GI Joe character. But oh well, we get the point. Um, I like that they had the guy in the Zodiac suit play different characters because in real life they thought that it possibly could be multiple murderers. It was it, that case is just a mess. It's a right. mess. Um, 
it, it's like the Jack the Ripper case. It's like the Whitechapel murders and the Zodiac murders. It's just like, mm-hmm. who's telling? Like, when they say the Whitechapel murders, it's like, not all of those are uh, attributed to Jack the Ripper. Right. And, like, not all the Zodiac murders, are like, say, a super high number are attributed to the Zodiac killer. Like, also the same thing with the Boston Strangler. They didn't think there was possibly more than one killer in that. And a lot of those cases attributed to it. It's just a mess. It and that, that's why that's why the forensics DNA get all mixed up too. Well, we couldn't pull a print off this guy because this way, well, maybe he didn't kill that guy. Maybe he killed the other three, or then he didn't kill this guy. Maybe some other guy thought he did it and acted mm-hmm. like the Zodiac and called it. it. It's a mess. Oh, Brian Cox is also in this pretty good performance. I love oh, yeah, when he's, he's laying in the there. back seat and he's like, "Are these animal crackers? Mm-hmm. Do you ever clean this car?" <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the cast is amazing. It's super well acted. I, I don't have. It's just so hard to talk of the details about it. I mean. Great set design. It did seem like there was some weird digital effects going on in the oversize, uh, over like skies lines and yeah, stuff. Yeah, like but I think like whenever they did like establishing shots, I, I think they might have been computer generated or at the very least some sort of like weird composite shot because they had this almost like pop up book feel to them. Like they they just seen like toys or miniatures. It was strange. I don't think they were. Did you? Uh, um, there were a few scenes like that. Did okay. you ever know about the movie from nineteen seventy one called The Zodiac Killer? No. Agfa released it. Um, and it's a true story. This guy made the movie to try to bring out the Zodiac Killer to catch him. I think I might have heard yeah, this before. It, it, that's pretty nuts. It, it's a pretty weird movie, too. Um, but no, literally, that, that I'm surprised they didn't try to do some of that in the movie. That would have been kind of cool. Well, they did say... Um, there was a film canister whole element. Yeah, there was that. a film element. There was also, like, um, in the movie theater... Like, they're watching... Is it Dirty Harry? Yeah, Dirty Harry. That was really cool. Right. And, um, and they bring that up later on when he's just like... Um, Jake Gyllenhaal's interviewing uh, Dave, uh, Mark Ruffalo, and mm-hmm. he talks in something. He's like, well, it could be this guy's like, watch it, Dirty Harry. Right. I mean, I think in the movie one, Valerius was like, like, when's my movie... The killer of the Zach was like, when's my movie coming out? Who's going to play me? Um, so I... Such a media whore. Yeah. And that, like, I don't know that much about the Zodiac Killer. Like, I was really fascinated back in, like, 2006 or whenever this came out. Because, like I said, it was everywhere. Um, and then, like, back then I found out, like, oh, we don't know who it actually was. I'm like, okay, well, I, I, I don't care anymore. I've also well, never been a serial killer person. I don't really some, follow them. Some people are fascinated with when they're not caught. The thing about the Zodiac is, like, he... People, like, take the history of serial killers, like, they look at it as, like, a study, you know? Mm-hmm. And Jack the Ripper the a big media guy, right? And then you have Zodiac with the messing with the media and the letters, and he was, like, the next thing like that, right? Getting caught up in the media sensation. Then we have David Berkowitz, who wrote notes to the media and stuff. And then BTK, it's just like they, some of these guys get obsessed with writing to the media right. and being involved. And sometimes they get caught because of it. Or It's, it's so funny, like... Everybody's like, Zodiac had to be a genius. It's like, I think that a lot of these guys are maybe good at one thing or very lucky at another and then just kind of like complete utter failures at everything else and that's why they're doing this. Mm-hmm. I still think it was um, the one guy they had. I think I think the movie does a pretty good job, at the very least directing you to, you know, this one guy. Maybe, you know. maybe new evidence has come out that would suggest it's not, but... Right. And I don't know. We'll never know. know. Yeah, we'll never, we'll never know. know. I, and like I said, it, it's interesting because like um, with uh, Gary Ridgway, the Green River Killer, they um, 
they had all these guys. They interviewed him like five or six mm-hmm. times, and they thought he was possibly one of the suspects out of a, a dozen guys. But then when they said, we finally got a DNA match, one of the detectives on the dock was like, it's Gary Ridgway, isn't it? Like, they know deep down inside, like, a lot of them. Sometimes right. cops think they know deep down inside. They get tunnel vision. They arrest the wrong guy, but, like, the West Memphis Three. But it feels like a lot of these cops probably have a general idea who they really think it is. Right. And, you know, like, there is a scene in here where, like, Mark Ruffalo brings up a fantastic point, like, you know, if it's the way I kill or killed, how many people? I think two in San Francisco or Ruffalo's that his character's at, yeah. like, six in total, maybe. Maybe a bit more, but he was like, like, do you know how many people have died since the last time we got any letter from him? This is, like, years after. Yeah. Um, They're pretty much, like, like it's an open case, but they're not working on it per se. He's like, he's like 200 people dying like three months in like traffic accidents or or robberies or something in San Francisco. Like, you know, yeah, Zodiac killer, he wrote the letters or anything, but like in the grand scheme of things, doesn't really matter. Yeah. What did he do? What, what's the importance? You know, I'm getting, we're getting murders every day, robberies, et cetera, et cetera. So it's like, it, it's I guess a, you're going to be a serial killer. Try to, you know, I don't. I, I, I don't know. It's How weird. It's hard. Kill? It's it's just a thing where they want to forget about it, but they keep getting drugged back in. Everybody, right. like they're like, it's something that they want to forget, but the like cases seem to haunt these guys, and this mm-hmm. one definitely haunted everybody involved with it. It's just. Right. It's just a case that nobody could solve, and it drove everybody kind of crazy. I, I think it's an excellent movie. I don't think it's in either review books. It's too new. Um, I'd give it an eight and a half or nine. I'd probably give it a four. Four out of five, yeah. Yeah, four out of It's five. definitely that, and that's a first-time watch. It's just like a, he almost has like a, a sense of like a Scorsese movie where it's like, it's really good, and you remember it, and you, the mm-hmm. dialogue's great, and it makes you laugh, and it's just very well acted and enjoyable, but also just good. It's really good. I can't, you know, I mean, I don't know how else to say about it. Really loved it. I can't remember what's next week, but I'll post right here. You'll see it. Yeah, it, it's my pick, so yeah. it's probably something tacky. Probably in Rocky Horror Picture Show opening theme music. So. It could be. Um, I, I don't remember. I'm How good. many more weeks to week? I don't have? know. I don't know. I'm done. I'm done. Okay, I'm done. Okay, guys, let's get into these questions. Um, are there Nick Mua? Are there films that are or were constantly broadcast around the holidays over? in the U.S. of A. We usually get the sound of the music, Home Alone 1 and 2, and any of the Harry Potters. Oh, um, Christmas Story was always on television a lot. Um, Scrooged was on TV a lot, if I remember. Um, if you're not talking about holiday stuff, um, oh, I mean Christmas stuff, uh, I remember that um, Halloween 1, 4, and 5 nonstop played in The Howling for like 10 Halloweens in a row. It was just always those same movies. So uh, let's just, for Christmas, we'll go Christmas Story and Scrooge run a lot. Please describe the most magical Christmas you had. I have no idea. I mean, these are weird questions. Like uh, Christmas together is like a whole as all the Christmases in one in my head and stuff. So it's really hard to pick the most magical Christmas I've ever had. I really can't pick that. I don't know that. Um, have you seen the Robert Englund version of Phantom of the Opera? If so, any good? I feel like you've asked me that a bunch of times. And no, I have not. I do have it though. Then we have answers. I basically ask which company um did the best, and each company like genre label did the best this year as far as releases. Um, I think it's Vinegar Syndrome. Personally, I know people want me to start answering that. Vinegar Syndrome killed it. Okay. Um, answers. Nick Mua. Firstly, I hope you and the rest of the Parker clan had a happy, happy Christmas. As for who ruled 2020 when it comes to home media, I am also tempted to say Shop Factory, but they release so much per year. My Bloody Valentine, Tales from the Dark Side, Idle Hands, it almost seems unfair. So I'm going to go with networking, releasing, and second sight films. Neither company releases a huge amount per year, but what they release is always worthwhile. Such, uh... 
in the original 1981, such as the original 1989, The Woman in Black, Black, Nar Black Narcissus, and um, Revenge, Great Rape Revenge Thriller, and The Strangers. Uh, then Ken Coakley, Severn and Vinegar Syndrome put out some good stuff this year. I, w I was glad that Severn got to release Cruel Jaws without Universal stopping them. I was also glad that Severn released the Al Adamson collection. Satan's Sadist is my favorite Adamson movie. I just wish they had released an individual Blu-ray of the Satan's Sadist with the soundtrack CD. They did have a blurp this past Black Friday while Vinegar Syndrome had stellar Black Friday to cap off a great year. Arrow has been disappointing by concentrating on 4Ks and mediocre films like Pitch Black. The only Arrow titles I got were the William Griffith Collection, Silent Running, and White Fire, which I bought because I like Robert Ginty, the exterminator. Um, they did release Tremors, which is a fantastic movie. Uh, Wild Will from Chesterfield. 2020 was a great year for movie collecting. Xmas marks the second year of me seriously collecting. Gonna count on Xmas Day what I added to the collection. It was the year of double and triple dipping for me, but definitely got a lot of super rare, obscure releases. I personally think Tentro video has the best releases in 2020. Thinking of inspiring me to collect and always... Thank you for... Thanks for inspiring me to collect and always enjoy your content. Happy holidays. Um, P.S. Happy... Highly enjoyed R.I.P. Rest in pieces from Dustin Wade Mills. Thank you. Uh, Marco Vintian, Hands Down Vinegar Syndrome. James D. Koch agrees. Um, Sam Edwards, Vinegar Syndrome and Scream Factory both kill it this year. It's actually hard for me to decide. Honorable mention goes to Severn. Daryl Spears, Vinegar Syndrome. Jason Lindbergh, Vinegar Syndrome. Jonathan Wilhelm, the same. Uh, Keith Christian, Scream Factory. He says, not the popular opinion, but I thought they still managed to release some gems. And then the Friday set, which I don't care if they had to replace the disc. That's a huge one. Mike Clark, Severn. Um... Matthew Cantor, Vinegar Syndrome, Susie Ayala, Unearth Films, um, James D. Cokes, um, he's really excited. He says that on Earth Story. Jason Lloyd, Scream Factory is the answer every year if you're a horror fan. Kyle Thomas, Severin. Jason Koch, I'd say Vinegar Syndrome for Forgotten Giallo sets. I had seen the police are blundering in the dark previously, but to see how well they managed to clean it up astounds me. My previous copy was the dodgiest bootleg I've ever seen. The weekend I'm going to go through Volume 2 and Silent Madness. Zach Puccinelli, Severn and Vinegar Syndrome tied for number one. Draven Rogers, Vinegar Syndrome. Mark Eric Jones, Unearthed Does It the Best. Samuel Glass Jr., Vinegar Syndrome, hands down, no one else. Not even Scream Factory would have the audacity to put out a beautifully remastered copy of Sweet Sugar and make it affordable. And then we have some just comments. Uh, Coco Loco, very honest and detailed review of Kaufman movie there. I can strongly recommend watching the YMS YouTube video on this movie. It pretty much goes through the whole thing in 20 minutes or so, and it really blew my mind. Thank you. Isimisio, Sleepless Beauty sounds awesome. I've been really digging epic pictures quite a bit lately. Lots of trippy stuff. Saw, I'm thinking of ending things and did not care for it. Understood it fully, but just didn't care. At times, it felt like it was trying to be weird for weird's sake. That being said, I did watch it not knowing a thing going in, and was surprised it took the turn it did at school, and who the main protagonist or antagonist, question mark, ha, really was. The Dark and the Wicked was great right after I had seen it, but after I stewed on it a bit, it was meh. I know you mentioned The Witch in comparison, The Witch was good, but meh after a few days too. I also agree it shares similarity, similar, share similar qualities to Hereditary in the sense that there's this dark, brooding doom that hovers over a family. And yep, Hereditary definitely killed the game. Amazing, amazing film that still remains fresh in my head almost three years later. I love Vivarium. The thing with Vivarium is they did it perfectly by not exposing too much of what was behind this. all this. The scene where the mom plays the game with the son was creepy and effective and subtle. It sent chills down my spine. Also, excellent concept overall in being trapped in this picture-perfect suburban nightmare. Great update, and I hope you had a wonderful holiday. Thank you. Zach Nolan, thanks you for thanks thank you for what you said about Toby Hooper on twenty two shots. It meant the world to me. Almost all the great directors make some turds. For Hooper to get singled out in any way is blasphemy. Agreed. 
Uh, Adam Watson, Vivarium is claustrophobic and creepy. Raising that horrible monster child is this, that suburban hell maze. Kind of depressing, I thought. LOL. Yeah. So, basically, this week's question of the week, I want to ask you, what is one film that you think will never get a Blu-ray release ever? What is one movie that you think, either due to rights, either due to obscurity or subject matter, whatever it is, will never get a Blu-ray release? That's what I'm curious about. I know people would be say Midnight Hour has been so long, that's the one they want. But what's one that you don't think will get released? Not one you want, but one you don't think will. Maybe it's the Devils, unfortunately. But yeah, I guess we're going to hop into the update. Okay, let's start this out. I'm going to show the um, SOV six-pack. Um, from Tempe Films, this is Kingdom of Vampires, Chick Boxer, Galaxy of Dinosaurs, Zombie Cop, Maximum Impact, Humanoids from Atlantis. That's right, all these special features on there. And what was in it um, was just this little thing, a Christmas card, which was nice. Happy Holidays. Very cool. And then the movies. They're in a little box here. Not had a chance to open it. Maybe I, I'm not gonna. I know it's lazy. I'm being a lazy boy. That's all of them there. Little booklet there. Very cool. They had a good sale on Black Friday. I've actually seen all these movies. I remember being a big Tempe fan growing up watching these. But yeah, these were like six movies made in six months at a time. So then we're going to do some DVDs. This is what I asked for for Christmas. That's right. Sexual Assault at a Hotel. Nikatsu Erotic Film Collection. That's I keep it classy on Christmas, right? Um, and then we have, what is it? Female Prisoner 101 Suck. Okay. Uh, and then last, of course, of course, we have Sex Hunter 1980. Like I said, these titles don't do the movies any favors. But anyways, uh, maybe they do. Maybe they do. We're going to hop back to the video. All right, guys. Thank you very much for watching. And as always, have a good one. I'm so tired. Okay, guys, thank you very much for watching.